Hello there, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Thanks, Morris. I am Marie, the SLP, and on today's episode, we have Annabeth and Mara back in from the Fanny Pack Therapist to continue our conversation about AAC. Did you know October is AAC Awareness Month? I personally love talking about AAC. I am not the expert in it, which is why I have the ladies here to, t- to help me. But I work a lot with AAC, especially with my preschoolers who some of them are just starting out with either assistive technology assessments or we're trialing some, you know, Big Macs or GoTox, all those things. Sometimes we're trialing some apps on the iPad. Um, regardless, it's a passion of mine to make sure that all of my students have a voice and AAC sometimes provides that and I love it and I'm so grateful for the technologies that we have. So I can't wait to talk more with Annabeth and Mara and share their perspectives on parent and teacher buy-in and training because as we know, if we're school-based speech therapists, sometimes that's where we've got to be is in that collaborative environment with the teachers. And if we're not, we need to be in that on that collaborative team with parents. So I'm so excited for you guys to hear all the knowledge they're about to drop. Let's get to talking. Okay, we're back with the Fanny Packed Therapists. I just said Fanny Packed, not Fanny Pack. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, but... <laughs> We're here with Annabeth and Mara again. Welcome back. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Super excited. I appreciate it. I think all of our work schedules right now are uh, a little bit crazy, but, um, you know, why not throw a podcast in the mix? Uh, So thanks. So we're going to continue our conversation from our last podcast, which I talked about wanting to go deeper into the parent-teacher buy-in and training with AAC. Um, So just, I mean, I don't know, I guess we could just jump right to it. I know there's probably like a certain like maybe steps, different steps that kind of go one before the other maybe when you're working on that. So um, if you want to just give us a little bit of an overview and talk about kind of what that would look like. Well, I think the buy-in is one of the most important things that there is an AAC um, users and their ability to learn that language um, and where a big majority of it takes place is at school. So without teacher, paraprofessional, parent, um, even peer buy-in, there's not going to be the use or there's not going to be even client buy-in to the AAC device. And um, that's unfortunately where or why, one of the reasons why we don't see a lot of um, AAC users using their AAC device to their fullest potential. Um, so, I mean, my biggest thing that I, I guess, preach is that the AAC device should really be treated as part of the person. It should be, it is their voice. It should never be taken away from them. It should never be away from them. Um, You're not going to rip someone's vocal cords out, right? So you should never take away the device. It always needs to be accessible. So really just starting um, with that belief and getting everybody to believe that the AAC device is like an extension of that physical person would be probably my first step. Yeah. And about anything to add? Yeah, I was just going to say with that, I mean, there's so many additional pieces I 
think about from an OT lens too, especially thinking about that access to a system. So whether it's access to a high-tech device that we need to make sure is out of the backpack in the classroom or those additional um, like supplementary communication systems are part of the system, like a low-tech board or symbols or whatever it is that might additionally augment their communication, um, making sure that everyone understands that that's all part of it. And that maybe, you know, if the device dies, we have these backup systems and it doesn't just have to be, well, it's got to sit in charge for 25 minutes before you can communicate again. Well, no, that's why we have all of these things built in place um, to be able to respond to those situations. And um, yeah, just, I think that really ties into understanding the importance of um, alternative access methods too, and just like all the additional equipment and troubleshooting that can come along with that and knowing the resources to be able to, um, to get those things fixed quickly and to have something to give the child to communicate in place of their primary method in those moments where we don't have the primary AAC. Mm -hmm. And I love that analogy of it's like a part of their body. Um, it's their voice. And I think that that helps, um, you know, parents that especially I've seen it where parents that are kind of like hesitant with it, kind of talking about it that way, like this is helping them get their needs and wants met. It's helping, you know, eventually down the line, them being able to tell you about their school day, you know, and teaching those foundational skills because it's their voice. Like that's, you know, that's how we work with it. So I think that's a really great um, thing to keep in mind if we're working with families. Um, now I know I've come into some <laughs> challenges with uh, the buy-in piece um, and you know, what, what do you guys see as like the most kind of challenging things, maybe the misconception? Like, I know I hear from parents, you know, well, if we give them this, then it's going to um, hinder their desire to communicate other ways or to use words. So um, what do you guys hear the most or kind of maybe have learned how to uh, work through the most? I think we've probably heard a little bit of it all. Um, I think really identifying the issues in your particular school or environment that you work in about the buy-in would be probably your biggest um, help in um, facilitating that buy-in for other people. So identifying the issues and some common issues that we see, like, like you just said, are... Um, you know, AAC probably inhibits their speech production and we want them to have verbal speech. Well, we know from research that is not true. And we, Annabeth and I have some like go-to articles that we just like to cite, just bring up the research right away. Um, if someone would respond well to that, if not, just really highlighting what multimodal communication is and why multimodal communication works and kind of take it back to how children learn language in the first place. Children learn language through their senses. They learn it through both their hearing, their sight, they're seeing it, but they're hearing it, they're feeling it. All their senses are, you know, learning how to use spoken language. It's the same for AAC users. It just looks a little different because it's on something external. Yeah. Um, 
Sorry, I'm writing down your quote because I really love it. <laughs> so just to be candid, I love that you ha- you talked about children learning language through their senses because I think that that is such a, um, even for me right now saying it, I'm like, you know, I've never thought about it in that way, um, especially when thinking about AAC. Like there's so much more. I mean, that's why we talk about all our facial expressions, all our gestures aren't the way we set up our environment. So um I'm going to quote you, but I'll make sure I credit you, Mara. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it is a different way of thinking about, about things. But I mean, if you think of the broader scope of speech and language, it's recognizing those gestures and gestures are part of communication. So even going back to like getting, facilitating that buy-in by multimodal communication. Well, if you teach a child how to wave, would you teach them how to say hello or can they do both? Right? Like one doesn't stop the other. Right. That's the same as an AAC device. Right. If you teach a child to say hello on the device and gesture or wave, it's not going to stop one or the other. They can also learn that in spoken language if they can. So yeah, exactly. No, I love, I love the way you put that. It's so helpful. Um, and then, you know, I've, I've definitely, and I know I've run into this too, where when you're looking at these higher tech devices, I mean, they're, they're scary. Um, you know, they, it's just like, there's so much in it because they're, I mean, it's over, it's like me going on Pinterest. Cause I don't go on Pinterest a lot. Cause I get overwhelmed. There's too many pictures. There's, it takes you into a whole new like platform and, and that's kind of how I feel about some of these higher tech AAC devices, even as a speech pathologist. So, yeah. And I think that that's what I was going to say is really one of the other biggest barriers is just that fear of how overwhelming high-tech AAC can be. And I think that we, the way that we typically respond either to clinicians and to anybody on the team who might be feeling that way and expressing that is just that like, we're just very real about, yeah, this technology is always changing. It's always expanding even the experts are always playing catch up with it. And so um, you have to dive in at some point head first and just start learning a little bit at a time. But for our families, we in the outpatient setting, we've done a lot of video modeling and like video home programs for our clients that have just like simple how-to videos about specific type of tech or a specific um, approach that we're using for communication. And I think that that's been super helpful. It's been helpful for our training for our teams, but also been really helpful for our families to just not feel like they have to learn everything all at once and to have little bite-sized nuggets that they can go back to and use as resources um, and know that they don't have to read an entire research article um, or, you know, an entire user manual to be able to do some of that troubleshooting or to be able to do something as simple as like program a new word into the device. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason why some of the technology is so um, intimidating is because there's so many different ones and even even at its simplest form like it took me years to learn that there is an actual difference between the hardware the software and the vocabulary and we're not expecting teachers or parents necessarily to know that that is for the professional who's fitting them with the device 
but it is intimidating that every child in your classroom who uses an AAC might be on a different one, um, or they should be on a different one as well, just because it's so, AAC should be so customized and individualized. But I think that's part of the intimidation factor. So really just highlighting those key um, AAC buzzwords like aided language simulation or modeling or teaching others how to prompt and also teaching them that like, it's okay to make mistakes. We make mistakes in our language as well. And you just correct them, right? You, you revise, you recast, you repeat, you do a strategy. And that's the same exact that you should do on an AC. So if you make a mistake, you model how to fix that mistake. And if you can't find one, a word or something like that, that you're trying to say, you can kind of stall of like, oh, let me look for my word. Hmm, let's find this word together. I'm not finding this word. I'm learning how you communicate too. And I think kind of giving that child the language of like, I'm learning the way you communicate and speak is really powerful for, for a child too. Oh yeah. No, I love that too. Cause that's even, you know, without, when we're not worry, worrying about AAC quite yet, when we're just coming in, even for an initial evaluation, I like to kind of make that known in some way, even with my little ones, you know, that you're going to teach me about yourself. That's why we're here. I don't, I'm not going to put any demands on you like that, you know, or for learning a new device, I'm not going to. So um, that's a really great, really great way to look at it. Were there any more like issues with buy-in that you guys have seen? I think your demand just brought up another thought in my head of, um, I guess, another issue that we see a lot is that people are, a lot of times people expect the child to use it, use a device right after it's in front of them. Um, So that goes back to the need for a lot of education on language development in AAC and modeling without expectation and realistic timelines of like how long you actually need to model a device before you expect a child to say anything on it. Yeah. Um, I, I had a thought and then I lost it, but, <laughs> but basically, yeah. Like in, and when we think about, you know, I think about modeling just to meet an annual goal, we start with a lot of support. So um, part of knowing how to give that support and what kind of support to give is like understanding again, language development and understanding what supports are needed when, and then that helps me know, you know, my tactile or verbal or whatever prompting I want to do. Um, so yeah, that would make sense that it's just the same because again, the AAC is part of their voice, right? So it's just how they're using it. Um, One of our most um, successful quotes that we've given to both families and other professionals, do you have, Annabeth, I am blanking on Thank you. Jane Courtson um, has a quote about like the amount of the amount of spoken language that infants are exposed to by the time they're 18 months old. Um, and so it's about, it's 4,380 hours 
of oral language that they're exposed to before they're really expected to be um, expressing themselves. Um, and so when, they, when you put that into terms of like a 20 to 30 minute speech session per week that you're modeling AAC and that's the only time it's being modeled, it would take 84 years for someone to be able to get that same amount of modeling. And so, yeah, exactly what you said, Mar. It's just so important to be modeling yeah. every single situation uh-huh. without the expectation that the child's going to use that system, that language to be able to express themselves. Um, and if you have the buy-in at school, school lasts for how many hours a day? So you're already getting that much more modeling than you are if it's just in the speech session or just like during very structured time with someone who feels comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, that blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like stunned over here. Just, just the thought of that and the perspective of how much I mean, you know, it, when it's funny when they say like you bring a child in and maybe you're not getting a lot out of that child in speech that day or they're in class, and you're not getting a lot out of them, but all of the language input that they're getting is something. And like, I will, you know, I'll have days where my maybe more limited verbal kids aren't, they're just not very expressive to any, you know, with gestures or anything. And um, as long as I'm maybe narrating what they're doing and we're, you know, going through some narrative play and stuff, I can say that like we actually had a very successful session. It's just a lot of language input, but it was successful because there's, they're hearing that and they're getting that exposure. Um, and that's really important to think about. And it definitely moves us kind of into talking about, you know, how we can get that, that teacher buy-in because I, I think that that's, and sometimes, you know, there's, there's the barrier of not enough adults in the classroom, not enough aides to learn the devices to help model those things when the one speech pathologist can't be in that classroom every day because they're in another one. Um, but, you know, how, I guess, um, once, once you have some buy-in maybe, um, how do you work to educate and train your staff to be able to model that um, for the kids? I think it depends on how much time they have. Right? <laughs> and that, that's another barrier. <laughs> that's, that's another barrier to some implementation. But if you strip it down to its most basic form, any symbol language and any symbol exposure is better than none. So okay. even if it's not the child's specific symbol language, it's not their specific device, but they have, teachers have a core vocabulary board up at the front and they're at least modeling that throughout the day. That's better than nothing. That's at yep. least one form okay. of providing that. So really just meeting the teachers or professionals that you're working with at what level they're at. There's always room for progress, but we see um, baby changes and baby steps <laughs> make the most leaps over time, I feel like, because sure. if you kind of go in with this, here's an entire overhaul of all of your classroom and the structured time and <laughs> implementing all the devices, I think it's overwhelming. And then they do nothing as opposed to anything. So just really meeting them where they're at, where their understanding is at, and starting baby steps. So that baby step could be a core board in the classroom. It could be 
one thing that we like to do just around um, our clinic that we work in is we kind of have um, some symbols at doors that say stop or go, um, open, close. We just have some symbols ready in various spots that make sense because then that's modeling every time you go in and out of a door, which can be a lot in a classroom or something that they use frequently. Put a core, bo- core word in that spot. Yeah. And yeah. I think that can be like a, a visual cue for the provider too, whoever it is of like, okay, I'm over at the cubbies now. And I see, you know, the symbol for coat and the symbol for backpack there. And I can model on those symbols mm-hmm. that are in the cubby, but it also is that cue of like, oh, maybe I'll grab their device out, maybe their low tech board and we can model this particular situation. Um, so I think even providing um, providers with those strategies of like, okay, if we see these things around the classroom, like these are routines in the day where we can be modeling and just starting with those small pieces of like, we don't need to, like you said, Mara, overhaul the entire routine of the classroom, but here are 10 different ideas that you could do this week and let's try one a day and then build from there. Cause a lot of it is that comfort of just getting used to using a different language. And also teaching them in certain routines would help. So, okay, it's story time or circle time. Here's how you can use Susie's AAC. Here's how you can use Johnny's AAC. Um, Something like that, even though that's, that probably happens every day, but at least they can just try out like, okay, I know that in my 10 minutes of circle time or my 10 minutes of story time, I'm going to try this one strategy just to model these devices and just adding certain routines slowly until it's more naturalistic for the provider or the teacher. And then you'll start seeing those scenarios expand to kind of any, any time and just being very open about like, here's one strategy that works well because it's structured, it's in circle time, but like, if you're just one-on-one with a kid and you want to say hello to them, that's an opportunity too. Like there are no times that are not communication opportunities. Did right. I say that right? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I understood it. <laughs> um, I feel like there's a double negative or something. Oh, you know, oh well, it's, you know, it's a Monday night. It's late. We've <laughs> whatever. Um, but I, I do agree. I think there's modeling is always an option. Um, and, and that's why I say like, if I get nothing done in a session, but modeling language, I got a lot done. I mean, um, it's so important to, um, just have, like, I think about the, the staff that I work with and I, and in my own, I guess, um, maybe, you know, cause I'm still learning how to coach through, you know, low tech AAC with my students. But I remember a couple years ago when I was first starting out, I sat with an aide, went over this little low tech um, book I made for my student. And she sat there and she listened and she, you know, but that was it. That's all I did. I sat with her for 20 minutes and talked about how she could use it. The the children weren't even there that day. Um, It was, you know, just a teacher day. And so he wasn't even there for me to show her with it. And, um, I learned a couple weeks later, I'm like, she's not even using it. And I'm like, well, I can't blame her. I didn't really 
I didn't share like how she could be modeling it in all these different situations. And I love that idea of kind of, you know, yeah, there's these core words on the wall for the kids when they need to go, you know, to the door or stop or go or whatever, but it's also a visual cue for the adults to remember, oh, wait, you know, Johnny uses that core board that Miss M gave him. So I'm gonna go grab that because we're going to recess and we could do some stuff like, so I think that's a really good idea. I'm gonna have to do that when the kids are back. <laughs> and I think that, the, yeah, the symbols around the classroom too just sort of naturally involve other students in the classroom in that language and that modeling too, because definitely, I mean, you see it among peers in classrooms, among siblings, uh, that if that language is there and there's a student who is using it and an adult who's modeling it, other kids are going to be excited about it too. And how cool is that then to have oh, yeah. in the classroom who are modeling that. And again, another um, just visual and auditory cue for the adults in the room to say like, oh, yes, we are using these symbols and here's another opportunity to model language. Oh, yeah. Sometimes we need more cues than the kids. I mean, I'll be the first to admit I do. <laughs> I mean, just, managing the classroom is hard enough, so yeah, I, I, I can understand where yeah. where it is challenging to implement AAC when when I might say like, oh, it's so natural, like it's so easy, but right. I do it on a one to one situation, and this is my passion that I could eat and sleep and breathe right. all day, right. Day, right? You know, yeah. But taking a step back, like a classroom is challenging in itself and then add all various needs of each individual child and then some right. of them might have AAC. It's it's a lot. It's a no. lot to remember. It's a lot to manage. It is. So baby steps. Yeah. And I think you touched on it earlier too. Um, I don't know Annabeth or Mara which, who said it, but talking about the peer models and how beneficial that can be. Um, to, for the kids, but I mean, I've also seen it be beneficial for like me and the teachers because it's just one more model for them that takes kind of the stress off of me sometimes. Um, we've done one thing that we've done that um, I wish that we could have seen it play out in school, but in my mind, I have this idea that it worked really well. <laughs> so, what we did is um, a child who was on an AC kind of saw both of us. And so what we did is we videotaped him during session um, saying different things on his communication system. So he was working on just a single voice put, voice output switch um, that was hooked up to a head switch. But anyways, we had his brother record the message in um, the voice output switch and then he would activate it but we um videotaped him activating it and it it said hi my name is so and so this is the way i communicate i communicate by um using a head switch and i need someone to put the words in but i can answer questions about what words i want on my switch and i answer questions by blinking or i answer questions by um like raising a finger. Um, so there was a couple different methods of how this particular child indicated choices, but if you gave choices and kind of auditory choices and scan through those, he was able to choose them 
and then we put it on the voice output switch and then we videotaped him and I hope that they played it to the classroom at the beginning and then in this magical world <laughs> all his peers learned from the first day how he communicates yeah no and I think I I would assume if they did play it the the kids did learn they're the most I mean they pick up on those things sometimes I I think I might have told you in our last podcast about my little girl who like um I don't know I forget now what I said she did but she like smiled when she liked something and the kids were able to interpret that they they interpret for each other and um and so they're fantastic I, at it yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah Sorry, in a dream world, I mean, you can do that for each child of like, hey, this is Susie, and this is how Susie communicates right now. Go say hi to her. And that's just like a learning opportunity for peers, but then peers are kind of like, okay, I'll go say hi. And like, this is how I'm supposed to say hi. And then if teachers see that, then it's kind of like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think kids are so interested regardless of what the method of communication is, they have that interest, but especially when it's high tech AAC, like that's another, just like how cool that this kid has a tablet or a computer system or something that some electronic that I haven't seen before in front of them and let me learn more about it. And that in and of itself is just like the opportunity to then be teaching the peers in the classroom, how that child is communicating and just give them the buy-in. Yeah. I, I agree so much. I love, I love the peer models and I love that they can kind of teach us sometimes how we can be modeling um, a little bit because kids like to learn from their peers <laughs> more than they might respond to us. They might respond to their peers. So um, for the most part, most kids are motivated more by their peers than they are with adult oh, yeah. for certain things so if, whenever you can use those peers and AAC with peers I would definitely recommend it <laughs> yeah and you can teach the users too that like this system is not just for communicating with this small group of five adults who know how to use it but I can like the power of this system is that I'm able to communicate with other people and they just need to take a little bit of time to learn and I think that like we said peers have so much more interest and patience than we give them credit for sometimes. Yeah. No, for sure. Well, that's such a good note to end on. I feel like just talking about peer modeling because it can be so magical, but did I miss anything, any questions that you guys wanted to make sure we covered in all of this? Cause this is um, kind of just an overview on accessing that buy-in. Um, I think I do have one more point that I didn't, yeah to and kind of just barriers of why we might not oh, see. Yeah. Um, so this is circling back to a while ago, but a lot of times in AAC users, we see certain, I'm putting this in air quotes for those of you who can't see, <laughs> um, air quotes, behaviors in AAC. And those behaviors might look like um, selecting an icon or a word multiple times in a row or um, talking when it's not their turn to talk and disrupting the classroom and things like that. And I think from those 
quote-unquote behaviors is when we see the AEC device be like, okay, well, this is just going to be taken away right now. Um, so I really think um, it's important to kind of train professionals about that and what those, like what to do in, in those situations. So yes, a child might be repetitively selecting an icon that could be for multiple purposes. It could just be a sensory thing. It could be because they like to hear it. It could be because they're trying to say plurals and they don't know how to say a plural of something. It could be because they didn't see it appear at the same time they heard it. Like it could be for multiple, multiple reasons. So training someone how to respond to that instance of like, oh, I heard that you said eat. Like, I heard you say eat. We only need to say that one time. Here, let me show you, like, eat something and model it. Or um, just responding in terms of, like, how you would manage a behavior in the classroom anyways when a child is talking at the same time as a teacher. What are you going to do? Take them over to the side? No, you're, you're going to tell them this is not an appropriate time to talk. Right. Teacher is talking. Same rules apply. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's their voice, right? It's just, exactly. it's, not, it's not a toy. It's a tool. So we're going to learn how to use it. We're not going to take it away. Exactly. So I think just really highlighting um, some of the things that you might see from some AAC users. I think those are pretty common ones that I see. And just um, educating about how to respond to those those scenarios would be very helpful for implementation and success within the classroom setting. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because um, I think from my lens, and you you might both feel the same way. Sometimes we forget because we just get so excited that a child is using their voice or accessing that that device that we're like, you know, I always tell parents, I love when they say no. I know parents don't like that, but I love it. <laughs> As a speech pathologist, that's a dream, you know, to to have them start to express themselves when they're it's you know, when they're, you know, maybe pushing that repetitive button, maybe they're being funny. Maybe it's part of their character. And so we don't want to take it away. We don't, because that's just going to take away all of that buy-in from the student too, or it might start to. Um, so that's a really good point is remembering like when we're getting that teacher buy-in and educating, that's a big part of it is making sure that they know, you know, don't take it away if they're not using it correctly, just model the correct behavior like you would any other student. Right. It's, it's kind of like behavior management for everybody else. <laughs> and that's just, it's just a little bit of a different way to think about it. And I mean, this AAC users, um, I think they have a little bit of a rough time sometimes learning that, well, so I think what happens is they get praised so often for communicating and communication to attempts. Um, so that praise kind of translates to, oh, I can get whatever I want whenever I want. So then they might start requesting things more. And I think they have to learn a little bit of a harder lesson, like, no, these are not appropriate times. Like, we can't watch Curious George all day, every day. And like, sure, you might do that in the beginning to motivate them, but then, you know, at some point they're going to have to learn. I hear what you're saying, <laughs> but you're not getting it. Um, and yeah. 
I just, I just had a client today with that discussion um, that I talked to mom. I was like, well, he really wanted to watch Curious George and play some music and stuff, but we were doing some other things. And that was the reward at the end, but very disappointed in me that I didn't give, <laughs> give, um, give into his requests, but but an opportunity for you to use his system then to model no, not time. <laughs> exactly. And then after that, I got no and like a look like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's awesome. And then you get, look, and then you get the gesture or the uh, facial expression and see. Exactly. And I guess so part of that ties into um, training others of how to respond to communication attempts from AAC users. If you want them to request something, it's great when they do it, but don't say good job. You wouldn't say good job to someone when they say, I want pizza, right? You wouldn't say good job. You would say like, okay, you want pizza? Well, it's not lunchtime. Or (laughs) maybe you can ask mom for pizza later. Or I really like pizza too. That sounds yummy. You would say something like that in a natural communication environment that's the same as an AEC user. So kind of training other communication partners just on a naturalistic response rather than a praise would be important too. Yeah, that's, I know I'm guilty of the good job thing, but I've learned in the last couple, I think I've learned because it's been like, um, I, it, I learned the hard way. I should say with preschoolers, I mean, if you start praising those things, then it, it like you, you get more of that behavior and you're like, wait a minute, that's not, you need to stop requesting the train right now. Cause you were told no. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think we're all guilty of the good job because, oh, yeah. you know, they're doing something that we're proud of them for. Right. Um, so it is, it is kind of an unnatural thing to not say good job when that's what we're trained to do is give praise. Oh yeah. But I think the praise is the communication response and that, that effect of the communication. Right. Oh, definitely. And I like that idea of when you do that, you're, you're again, you're, honoring their communication versus, because I feel like it just adds information. It adds more opportunity to have a reciprocal interaction than just saying good job. And then it's like, well, then wait, where do I go from here? Um, So no, that's really good. Um, Well, thank you. (laughs) Now it's like every time I, well, last time I talked to you, I was like, dang, now I really want to get in with my students again. And now I feel the same way, like, oh, but you know, soon enough. Soon enough, I know. In this <laughs> crazy COVID world. Crazy COVID world. But I do appreciate you ladies making the time to share such valuable information with us because, um, again, it's, you guys are so, like, you're just inspiring to me. I just like love the interdisciplinary collaboration you guys do and, and how you both um, support each other with the occupational therapy side and the communication uh, therapy site. So it's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you again for having us. Um, I mean, I'll nerd out anytime about this. Oh yeah. (laughs) 
You're always welcome here. So <laughs> if there's ever anything you want to share with us, please don't hesitate to let me know. Thank you so, so much for listening, Annabeth and Mara. Thank you so much for joining me and just sharing, again, so much great knowledge and helping us stay motivated and inspired and just, you know, knowledgeable about the ways that we can go about implementing certain strategies and keeping a collaborative relationship with teachers and parents when it comes to AAC. Friends, you can find Annabeth and Mara over at the Fanny Pack Therapist on Instagram. That is linked in the episode notes. You can also find me on Instagram at Thanks Morris. Make sure that you review, rate, subscribe this podcast and other episodes. Um, every little bit of feedback helps, and I love knowing what you guys want more of. So I will talk to you next time. Have a great rest of your week, and uh, you know, see you on the old Instagram. <laughs>